0: You're listening to Build, Launch, Scale. The podcast for people focused on using technology to bring products to life. Each week, we'll dive into a specific topic within product management and hear from some of the best product people around. The goal? To help you find some inspiration, learn a few new tricks, and ultimately, build, launch, and scale better products. Build Launch Scale is a production of Products Collective, a community for product people and the organizers of Industry the Product Conference, where product people from all over the world gather every fall. For Product Collective, I'm Mike Belsito, and this is Build Launch Scale. Recently, we featured Jason Fried, founder and CEO of Basecamp, on an episode of Build Launch Scale. Now, Jason was a recent speaker at Industry the Product Conference, which is our conference this past September. In fact, if you want to check out his fireside chat, you could just search for Product Collective on YouTube and you'll find our channel. There will be his fireside chat and other talks from industry this past year. We also gave Jason permission to share the audio version of his fireside chat on the Basecamp podcast, which is called Rework. Definitely check it out there, too, as their podcast is an awesome one. Anyway... Jason is somebody that a lot of product people look up to and follow, in part because he always has a provocative yet practical view on building product, but also the Basecamp story itself, it's a great one. It's a company that for the most part has never taken in any outside capital until 2006 when they brought on one single investor, Jeff Bezos. But really, even when Jeff Bezos came on board, they still ran Basecamp in a way that's very much like a bootstrapped company. Basecamp is very lean. They just have a couple dozen employees. They create a product that's integral to a lot of product people and product teams, and they're profitable. And it's true that there's nobody quite like Jason, and there's not a company that's quite like Basecamp. But Jason and Basecamp, it all reminds me of another founder who operates a software company in a place that's actually far away from Jason's Chicago home. In Bologna, Italy, there's a founder who bootstrapped another company. They also have a product that's integral to a lot of other product people and teams. They also have a very lean team, yet are very profitable. And they also have a leader who's unafraid to share very specific points of view on what it takes to build great products and teams. The person I'm talking about, well, he usually just goes by one name, Peldi. And he's the founder and CEO of Balsamic, which is a wireframing tool that's used by product and UX teams all throughout the world. And yes, Peldi is a bootstrapped founder and has been very open about his experiences running Balsamic, whether it's being profiled by Seth Godin on his blog or speaking at conferences like Business of Software. And actually, we'll soon be featuring Peldi at our conference. In April of 2018, Industry the Product Conference will be debuting in Dublin, Ireland, and Peldi He's one of the first speakers we've announced to feature at the conference. We'll be having a fireside chat with Peldi in Dublin, but before that, we sat down with Peldi to talk about something near and dear to his heart, wireframing, and specifically, why it's relevant to product people. So, to get things started, I had to ask Peldi to clarify something for me, because I'm certainly familiar with wireframing, but I sometimes see people talk about prototyping as well when they're at the early stages of creating product. Is it one and the same? I asked Peldi this and learned his very strong point of view on the topic.
1: The term prototyping is kind of like the term UX, where it's now it now means everything. It kind of uh, stuck as an umbrella term. But if you were to differentiate wireframes from prototypes, I think the best way to do so is that a prototype is sort of designed to mimic the end product as much as possible. So... Things like dynamic content or conditional flow, animations, data coming from a server, you know, or uh, views that are reactive to the window size, you know, or you could do math in it. All these things uh, are really things that you do in a prototype. Wireframing, on the other hand, competes more with pen and paper. So to me, they're very different things. One is early stage and one is optional. I think it's a waste of time, 90% of the time, but um, but it, it's designed to be more like the finished product. So some people call balsamic a prototyping tool because we have the ability to link screens together, but I die a little every time people say that we're a prototyping tool. We're a wireframing tool where you can do a very, very lightweight prototyping.
0: Okay, so balsamic is for wireframing, not prototyping. And the difference? Well, it sounds like both serve somewhat of a similar purpose in that you're able to create something at a very early stage to put in front of somebody to get feedback before you've created a fully coded product. But wireframing, it seems to be much more lightweight and something that I, even as a non-developer, can get started with pretty much right away. But is that the role that wireframing serves? Simply to whip something up and get feedback from users? Or is it something that's more for internal purposes or even just something to get your own thoughts into a form that sort of looks like product, maybe all of the above, or is it none of the above? Peldi gives his take on the role of wireframing.
1: It serves more than one role. There's definitely a moment where uh, you just put your headphones on, you have an idea, and you just have to clarify your idea to yourself. And so in balsamic, you can turn on background music, which is this sort of uh, zen, uh, relaxing uh, concentration music built in into the app so that you can close Slack and all the other distractions and just bang it out in half an hour or so. So that's uh, definitely, I think, my favorite part because it's the most super creative part. And you do one and then you do another one because wireframes are quick. That's the whole point. You throw it away, you start over. Let's explore another idea completely. The more you do this, the better the end result is. So as a thought tool, it's absolutely critical. Some people like to do this first phase on paper, totally legit. Uh, We see people that do that and then switch to balsamic to finish, clear it out their thoughts. That's, uh, That's totally fine. Then once you have the design, it becomes more of a, let me sell this to the team phase, right? And so maybe you do some user testing, maybe you go to a team. But again, I think there should be a little intermediate phase where where you say, this is my idea, but it's still a draft. Let's talk about it. And be ready to throw it all away and do it again. And and wireframes are great for this. Then there's another uh, role, which is discussion with development. And so there you add a bunch of annotations. This, this, and this, and, and the development gets involved and they add their own annotations and they say, this is too hard, this, is, this will take too long, blah, blah, blah. So they're a really, they're a really effective uh, communication tool that serves these phases. Some people, before they go to development, they, they go to a prototyping tool and then they go to development. But yeah, so it's, it's very much for the first two or three early stages of uh, ideation. So if wireframing serves
0: all of those purposes, what good is prototyping? Does it play a role at all? Is it something that wireframing in Peldi's mind completely displaces? You could tell that Peldi's been asked this one before. And really to him, we should all be thinking of prototyping as something that's as old school as say, waterfall.
1: Prototyping is still kind of uh, uh, considered hot, but it's really a legacy of the waterfall days where you would do a spec in Word and it was 20 pages. And then you would send it to development and the development would take two months, three months to get anything back that you could play with. So in that case, it makes sense to do a prototype because you may convey as much information as possible and sort of reduce some of the risk. Because if the developers take three months and they come back with something crappy, then you're in trouble, right? But but those days are gone. Now it's agile. Now it's quick sprints. It takes a week. The tools are easier. It's so much easier to take an idea from a wireframe and code it up real quick using Bootstrap, using whatever framework you're using. And so do that in two, three days. Just enough to play with it. It doesn't have to be hooked up to the server, you know, but it's super simple to do that for a developer. And then play with that. And that's the real thing. So it will feel exactly right. And guess what? That code you get to use in the real product. You don't have to throw away the prototype, right? So just go back and forth. And if it doesn't look good, you go back to the wireframe. Do another iteration on the wireframe. We might, you might throw away 15% of that code, but you get to keep the other 80, uh, 85% usually. So yeah, do quick sprints and uh, go wireframe code, wireframe code, get wireframe code. Wireframe code. Unless you're doing a satellite where it's in space and you can't really change things once they're in space, then in that case, sure, prototype the heck out of it. But, or a car, I don't know, there's some cases where it makes sense. But 90% of people these days work with fast developers that use tools that, you know, allow them to be really fast.
0: So in Peldi's opinion, don't even bother with prototyping unless you're building a spaceship. So the aerospace product people listening to this episode keep that caveat in mind but i've been on product teams before where it's usually been the ux folks who are in charge of wireframing yet oftentimes it probably could have been really useful for me as a product person to communicate my ideas through wireframing to the ux team is that how it's supposed to work should wireframing include ux but also development and product people who should all be involved in the wireframing process
1: teams that wireframe together stay together, (laughs) meaning that we think of wireframing as really drawing with a pencil or a marker on a whiteboard. So everybody should be allowed to do it. It shouldn't be just the designers that do it because good ideas come from all, all over the place. Now, with a pencil, you could draw really well or you could draw terribly. So wireframing is a tool and you have to know how to use it effectively. So I think by setting good expectations and having a good team uh, dynamics where ideas are accepted from everywhere and critique is accepted openly, then the more people wireframe, the better because you get Little bits of ideas that you can then uh, collate into into a final design. We even include our customers in wireframes. We, we say, we're thinking of building this. What do you think? And they send us their own version because they use the product more than we do. Uh, so they, they know it better, right? So I would say uh, encourage everybody to wireframe. Encourage everybody to learn how to wireframe well. Study uh, some books or do or some classes. Uh, we have a website called UX Apprentice that is designed to sort of help you, uh, you know, learn how to uh, how to make good wireframes, not just any wireframes.
0: So wireframing is not just for the UX team. It's for developers. It's for product people. Because as Peldy says, teams that wireframe together stay together. It seems like some good life advice for broader product teams. Anyway. I asked Peldy if he could recall something in his background, before balsamic, on what life was like when he was involved with wireframing at first, and how it really helped him as a product person. What makes wireframing so conducive to product people when they may not have specific design and development skills? At least, I sure don't. Peldi started by recalling his time at Adobe when wireframing happened on a whiteboard
1: used to be a developer, and uh, Adobe, I worked with a product team that had a uh, product manager, developer, designer, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, so we would get in a room and wireframe on the whiteboard like crazy, and then I would have to go and take a picture, you know, do not erase, <laughs> and, you know, and try to replicate it. But what was nice about that is that the playing field was pretty even. Everybody could jump in with their idea, right? It's not the same with Photoshop. It's not the same with prototyping tools because they have a steep learning curve. And so, well, for instance, for visual design, so how the look and feel of each screen, we always had to go through the graphic designer. We all, it was always a, okay, you do it, you put your hands in the design and we just were only allowed to tell you what we would change, right? And it's the same thing with prototyping tools. If, if they're tools that are hard to use, it ends up that it's inefficient. You have to go through one, play, uh, one person. You cannot truly collaborate on an even playing field. Uh, oh, Wireframing wire tools are different because they're simple to use. I had the idea for Alsomic by talking to a product manager friend of mine who had fantastic ideas but didn't have any way to express them other than writing requirements in text. And she will go through great lengths trying to describe these interfaces. And she was afraid to sketch on paper because she felt like, oh, that doesn't look professional enough, you know. or maybe I should leave the designer to do this. But her ideas were much better than the designer. Our designer was more of a graphic design guy, not an information architecture guy. So I was like, let's find a tool for you and uh, I looked and looked to try to help her, and I would sit with her and try to do it with her, and um, I couldn't find one. So I, I thought, I'm designing a tool just for you. It has to be for product people because they have great ideas and no way to express them. It has to be as, e- as easy to use as PowerPoint, but also powerful enough that the development team will adopt it, and it has to be decent enough that designers will also adopt it to collaborate, to participate in the process. So wireframing should be absolutely what product managers do. And a ton of our uh, customers are product managers.
0: So if you're listening to this episode, chances are you're a product person. And hopefully wireframing, maybe it's old hat to you. You already know the benefits. You already know some best practices, but maybe you don't. Maybe it's something you just haven't been exposed to as much, or maybe it's something that your UX comrades usually take the reins with. Well, Peldi has some advice for you and other wireframing newbies when you're just getting started.
1: couple of tips. One is put your wireframes in front of users as quickly as possible. Don't be proud and don't be afraid. That is the best thing you can do to get better, right? So do paper prototyping. You, you, you print them out and you show it to them. And, and um, that is really, I think, the most painful way to learn because you realize that they don't see the big button that's right there, right? The other tip I would say is buy a book, like a classic, like uh, About Face, Alan Cooper, right? That's the Bible. It will. There's a whole chapter on when to use a checkbox versus a radio button, when to use a, a button versus an icon button versus a menu button, you know, uh, or a combo box. So it's the basics, right? or do an online class, come to our website and uh, we'll help you out, you know. But um, there's really no, uh, no wrong way to go about it. The learning curve, it's like snowboarding. The first couple of days suck, but then, then you're fine. Then you're done. You've learned 90% of what you need to learn.
0: That book that Peldi referred to, it's about face, the essentials of interactive design. And it sounds like Peldi's a big fan. But I also love the piece of advice to just get started with pen and paper. Look, you don't need a platform to wireframe. If you have a pen or pencil and a piece of paper, you actually technically have everything you need to get started. And sometimes getting started is the hardest part. But you will get better over time and you will start to understand the best practices within wireframing. But are there common mistakes to look out for? UX folks, they might already know what to keep an eye out for as far as common mistakes. So I asked Peldi to focus the mistakes he usually sees developers and product people make when approaching wireframing.
1: Developers always start from the data they have in their mind, how how I'm going to save all this data. And then basically they map that one-to-one to the screen. And that's usually too much stuff on, on one screen for, for for normal people, right? So that's that's one thing. The other mistake that developers make is to have this sort of religion about being consistent. If we give the ability to color a button, then we have to give the ability to color everything. That's not true. You know humans are not like that humans are imperfect machines and so you know do what makes sense for the human you're not the target customers and then for product managers the the most normal one is to try to cramp too much in one screen and uh not give visual hierarchy there it is an art and people who do information architecture and wireframing as a career they're very valuable because it does take a long time to become really good at it. And so over time, you learn about making things in context, right? So if it's something that needs to be edited, don't put the controls too far away to edit it. Put them as close as possible, right? There's a lot of best practices that you sort of learn over time.
0: I was pumped to have this conversation with Peldy but admittedly, I focused it pretty much on wireframing, which as the founder of one of the best tools for wireframing, that makes sense. But... Peldi, he's a product person himself and a bootstrap founder of a successful business. Obviously, he has so much more to share than just his take on wireframing. That's why I'm so excited to host Peldi at Industry the Product Conference this April in Dublin. We'll be having a fireside chat with Peldi addressing his take on product management and business overall. You should consider joining us in Dublin for that. You could check out some of the details at industryconference.com Europe. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed chatting with Peldi, we'd love it if you could share it with a fellow product person or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. I know it takes time to do that, but we really, really appreciate it. And it does help us get the word out. For Product Collective, I'm Mike Belcito, and this is Build, Launch, Scale. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of today's conversation, and if you did, it would be awesome if you could head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from and give it a five-star rating. That kind of thing helps us a ton. It'd also be great if you could just let your friends know about the podcast since it is relatively new. For Product Collective, I'm Mike Belsito, and this is Build, Launch, Scale.